Good evening! My name is Adam Boxer and I'm joining, joining you live from London! Unfortunately, the jingle thing isn't working, so there's this amazing jingle that I've got that goes live from London, Adam Boxer Show, the late something or other, and I can't get it to work. Such is life, you'll just have to put up with me just the same. Good evening and welcome to Ask the Experts with me, Adam Boxer. Tonight we are joined by Heather Fern, who is Her Majesty's Inspector leading Ofsted's Curriculum Unit. With Ofsted being one of the largest levers for educational change in this country, tonight we're going to be talking about curriculum, Ofsted, workload, myths and more. Ofsted can be highly polarising and Heather and I are going to be cutting through the rhetoric to try and get at the logic, philosophy and educational drivers beneath the headlines. Heather's going to join, uh, call in in just a minute. And in the meantime, I'm really hoping that you guys can actually hear me. So there's a little chat thing. And if you could just say hi in the chat, that would be really great because then um, I'll know that actually you can hear me. That would be cool. Right. Oh, it looks like. Uh, oh, no. Somebody's trying to call me. Ah, excellent. Both Matt and Tom have said that they can hear me. Brilliant. Now what I'm doing is waiting for Heather to call in. So uh, I guess I'm just going to tell jokes until Heather does. Um, here's a good one to start with. What is red? and bad for your teeth. Any takers? What is red and bad for your teeth? It's a brick. That was a pretty good one. Any takers? No. All right, um, where is Heather? Uh, is <laughs> Oh dear, Matt's not particularly happy with my choice of gag. So instead, I'll just tell you guys a story. Um, how does the story go? I was listening to a um, podcast. This is, okay, so just as a bit of background, my, um, at my school, we do thought for the day. Every morning we do briefing uh, and we do something called thought. Oh, Heather's calling in. Um, but no, no, Heather, you can't call in now. I'm about to do my thought for the day. And every morning we do a thought for the day and the teacher gets up and does the thought for the day. And it's always very nice. Um, and um, the thing is, it's only a couple of minutes long. And uh, I always want to take longer than a couple of minutes. Uh, so here's a quick thought for the day for you guys. So I was listening to a podcast recently on an rival radio station with Angela Rayner. Um, Angela Rayner is the um, Labour's uh, deputy leader, the deputy leader of the Labour Party. Um, and I didn't really know much about Angela Rayner until I listened to the podcast, which was excellent, by the way. Uh, one of the things she spoke about was how growing up her mother, um, she grew up dirt poor, literally dirt poor. Um, and um, her mother was, they were all so, you know, so poor and so like, I guess, bad off that her mother was actually illiterate. So obviously you guys know what that means, but like in this case, it really, really means like she could not read, she could not write. Uh, she didn't know how to parent properly. She didn't know how to cook, she didn't know how to clean. Uh, such the extent, I think Angela said that one evening they ate dog food, um, like you know, actual dog food, um, because her mum read the label uh, and thought they was, you know, couldn't read the label obviously and thought they was just, you know, stewing meat. So they had dog food for dinner. Uh, Angela got pregnant age 16 uh, and she knew that there were three things that she wanted to provide for um, her son, Ryan. Uh, one of the things she wanted to provide for her son, Ryan, was a clean home. And one of the things she wanted to provide for her son, Ryan, were clothes. And another thing she wanted to provide for Ryan was food. Um, and so she always made food, made sure to make sure that he, you know, he ate and the house was clean. And on uh, payday, so each month, she'd go down to look at Oxfam and she'd buy like some nice um, like tracksuit bottoms or whatever. She said she once bought some Adidas tracksuit bottoms and it was like the best day ever. And she thought she was smashing this parenting thing. You know, she's 16 years old, of course. And um, then Labour opened the Shore Start centres um, and she started going along to these things. And it was only at that point that she realised 
that she um, she wasn't parenting properly because even though she was keeping a clean home and she was making sure Ryan had food and clothes and stuff, she didn't realize that she was supposed to cuddle Ryan. She didn't realize she was supposed to say, I love you to Ryan. She didn't realize that she was supposed to read to Ryan until she started going to those sessions at the short stop. Uh, and obviously like that, <laughs> That kind of hits you uh, in the face um, like a brick from the joke earlier. Um, and it's just, it made me think quite hard when I listened to that because, you know, we're, we're sort of, <sighs> things like that, they seem alien. They seem like they're different worlds away from us. But in any given school, you will have kids who are just like that. Um, and yeah, I just, boom, hit me in the face. Anyway, Heather's here. Heather's note, uh, we've sent your invite. That should work. Hang on, no, no callers now. I'm, I'm, I tell you, I'm not doing a great, oh no, wait, wait, Heather, you there, Heather? I'm here, can you hear me? Oh, Heather. <laughs> I've been trying and trying since you began talking. I'm no, very glad Heather. to be joining you now. <laughs> Heather, it's entirely my fault. I, there's a little tab thing here. There's a little window that I needed to click that said, let you in. I was, but I, it's an there's, there's, relief, though. The thing is, there's there's these floating circles that have got that icon of a person with a plus, and I didn't really know what to do with it, and I was just clicking on random things in a desperate bid to get my jingle to work, which I'm still very sad about. <laughs> anyway, sorry about that. It's good to have you. How are you, Heather? I'm well, thank you. Not too bad. It, it's definitely a late shift for me. I'm definitely one of those people that thinks it's a luxury to go to bed as early as possible, but I'm oh. doing just fine here. Do you do you, fine, you go down early? What time do you normally go to bed, Heather? Well, as early as I can get away with to be honest don't even want to admit Come on, <laughs> so, you've, you've got to put a number on it well i i, I think it's respectable if i managed to make it to nine <laughs> wow um okay well i hope you've got the pro plus um, i'm doing or, fine i'm doing fine actually thank you very much i i would i would name my personal favorite energy drink brand but oh, um goodness. that's probably banned online bearing in mind the oxford university press who are our sponsors uh, don't make energy drinks um, <laughs> if, if they did, they'd probably be fantastic. Kudos. Well done to you, Oxford University Press, our sponsors for this evening. Um, anyway, we've, we've just, no, I mean, not you, I say we like you're included, but I have just wasted six, six minutes of the people's time. So uh, let's try and claw that back, shall we? Um, with some interesting things. Okay. So, um, you've told me how you are. That's a good start. You're probably going to get really tired within the next 43 minutes. I'm going to be so. fine. Go for it. You'll be fine. Okay. Excellent. Cool. All right. Oh, well, Teach Fab Physics says 9 p.m. is his aim or her aim most nights. Good job, good. Teach Fab good. Physics. Phys yeah, yeah, good ah, job. I just made a meal of that. Let's try again. Teach Fab Physics. Boom. Smashed it in one. Well, two is the second try. Anyway. Right. Heather, could you start just by telling uh, the people about yourself, your background, uh, how you got to where you are? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, I began teaching in 1994, originally as a history and politics teacher. Can I just pause um, you there for a second? Yeah. I was four in 1994. Well, <laughs> yeah, it's well, education has changed, doesn't it, over, over that period of time? Yeah, because I've arrived. <laughs> but but it, it does give you a lot to reflect on, I, I guess, and seeing those changes over time and seeing how different trends have played out. Um, so I, so yeah, a history and politics teacher. I think I got pulled into the sort of that kind of ferment that was the sort of edu, edu blogging world of a little while ago on social media, um, and and I, I 
I think I became very drawn to all the really interesting research that was out there. You talked about that that really moving story with um, Angela Rayner, and, and I think my own background made me feel very strongly that, that it was important that um, children got the education that gave them choices in life. And, and that was... I think that was really something that that feeling that things can be better, we can improve, certainly as a sort of driver for me. Um, and so, yeah, I became very involved, involved in blogging. I, I moved on to work for a while on curriculum for a mat. And three years ago, um, I joined Ofsted. I joined Ofsted first as um, in the role of Inspector Curriculum and Development Lead. And in that role, um, I was very involved in the writing of the EIF inspection framework, which was launched in September 19, uh, 2019. Um, and um, from that, also the ITE framework, very involved in um, the training of inspectors uh, for inspecting that framework and thinking about the methodology of inspection for that framework, in fact, as well. And more recently, I've taken on a role as um, I've become an HMI, a Her Majesty's Inspector, and I've taken on a role as senior HMI, jointly leading our curriculum unit, which is a team of subject leads. They spend half their time in the region inspecting and half the team working um, on internal and external projects, which I'll talk a little bit more. We've got plenty of time, haven't we? But I'll talk a little bit more about... Well, you say we've got plenty of time, but you've just told me you might nod off at any minute. No, no. I'm, I'm, as I say, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm psyched. You can imagine the adrenaline's running. Don't worry. All right. Good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, tell me, so now that you're an HMI, does that mean that you're out there in schools? Um, yes, I mean, I, I was, even my previous role, I often shadowed inspections because it was really important that I understood the process and, and those Sure, yeah, challenges. yeah, I meant like uh, actually doing it. Yeah, no, inspecting. no, indeed, indeed, I, I, I do still, I do go out inspecting um, and um, it's really important I continue to do inspection uh, because it info it need, I need that um, feedback really to inform thinking both in terms of what we do internally in Ofsted and and sort of presenting externally hmm, interesting do you, I, I I sort of feel quite similar when I do um you know like observing other you know my core bit I'm head of department my core business is teaching my classes right yeah and then when I observe others and I mm. like my I have I do a lot of mentoring and stuff when yeah. I'm observing trainees like that helps my practice so much in terms of thinking about not just like what I'm going to do in my classroom, but also how do I, um, how do I deliver feedback or how do I like contribute to things that will make other people better uh, in a way that's meaningful? You can only get that by looking at others, yes, really. I think that's absolutely right. And, and it's always the case that whenever I, I you know, obviously I'm lucky enough to, to go into schools and see what schools are doing, it always makes me think, it always makes me take stock, it always makes me consider further and um, uh, the, the, the kind of uh, inform the uh, thinking in terms of quality of education and so on and so forth. And I, I think that's really important. And obviously, I mean, that's the heart of um, being a good teacher, apart from anything else, that constant yeah. reflection, isn't it? Yeah, well, as long as the reflections are good. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, do you, uh, did you enjoy it? Yeah, I do. I mean, I, I, I think um, I mean, it's, 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 it's a sort of, um, as a kind of speaking, obviously, from the inside, it, inspection is endless as, as 
part of my role is endlessly fascinating. It's end the questions around, uh, you know, uh, the the kind of configuration of what what different schools are doing, the kind of interaction of all the different parts of what they do, and also I think for me as a sort of a bit of a, a an inspection geek, that fascination, which I, you might end up talking asking me a bit more about later, around the process of inspection and what we're thinking of quality of education and the best way to try and find and arrive at the evidence necessary to to reach to reach a judgment. Um, and, and I find that endlessly fascinating as well, actually. Nice one. Nice. And how is, um, obviously, you know, COVID has mm. rocked everything, every industry, every sector. How's, how's that changed your day to day? Yeah, so I, that's quite a bit I could say about that. I think so for while while um there was no inspection or indeed sort of research visits or any other sort of Ofsted sort of um uh, sort of uh, ongoing work in schools for many HMI they were um, redeployed for example working for the DfE for other mm. government departments um uh, but and and uh in the and and in fact that that was something that sort of Ofsted was a bit of a model for within government. Um, but I didn't but I didn't but, really tell anybody about it. Well, I, I, I guess they, perhaps we did mention it, but uh, but those aren't necessarily the things that get amplified. But um, yeah. it's fair enough. But but I think in in my case that wasn't what I was doing. I mean, in terms of what I was doing, I was sitting at my desk sort of for many hours, as everyone was that was working from home in in lockdown. And sort of that when you think about that time, you sort of that feeling of pain in the back of your neck as you as you think about those many many hours. But I think in the work that I'm doing. Uh, in Ofsted with subject leads, what it meant was that many projects that we had underway, uh, for example, I'll talk more about the research reviews later, but for those projects, we were able to just move faster with those because rather than our subject leads spending 50% of their time inspecting and um, 50% working with us in the centre, we were able to have them pretty much 100% of the time and we just wanted to make the very best use of that possible Mm. and really accelerate those projects. And so myself and my colleague, John Kay, who run the curriculum unit, we, we were spending our time sort of ensuring that we were able to um, coordinate that, that sort of accelerated work that was going on with our subject leads through that period. Good stuff. Thank you. Excellent. Oh, yeah, I mean, it's, yes, that, that kind of interjection about telling people, it's, it's one of those where, like, I think that, um, like, let, let, let's get this out of the way early. You know, mm. a lot of people really don't like Ofsted. A lot mm. of people really do like Ofsted. Mm. Uh, you know, I guess for the listeners, it's important for me to kind of pin my flags to mast. Like, I'm sort of in the middle somewhere um that you know i think Ofsted is necessary blah 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 blah. and i think the new eif is way better than all the old stuff um obviously i think you know I'm, i mean i'm not i'm not backwards about coming forwards i think there are some things that maybe need to be thought a bit not i guess thinking it's very patronizing to say thought a bit more about it implies that someone hasn't thought them through but maybe things that you could you could argue about um but one of the things that, that i felt frustrated about was the um with some of the common stuff because like I, you know, I have I have friends who work in Ofsted, and they were busy being redeployed left, right, and centre. And then people are mouthing off on Twitter and being like, "Why aren't the Ofsted inspectors doing anything? Why aren't they coming mm-hmm. to schools to support?" And I'm like, "Well, you can't have it both ways." Like, you know, if someone came in, if, if an Ofsted inspector turned up in your school and said, "Hi guys, I'm here to help you with COVID," then everyone would be like, "Oh my God, can you believe it? It's it's awful. It's evil. This is Panopticon. This is the man coming into our schools and trying to surreptitiously check what's going on under the radar." Yeah. So you know, you can't. But then at the same time, that you know, people were being redeployed. The civil service was um, 
uh, what's the right metaphor? Do you know what a megaflow is? <laughs> so my, my, I don't actually, should I? <laughs> so my, 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 um, my brother has just moved into his home where they've been redoing it. He's got a thing called a megaflow, which right. is like this thing that you, att- I can't believe, we, we are really wide ranging tonight. This is ca- cultural capital. We are doing plumbing. Uh, so oh, a megaflow basically right. shifts water around the house so right. that you can always make right. sure you've got the right pressure in the right places. And that's yeah. basically what was happening to the civil service. Like people were just being mm. moved around. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, there's your soundbite for tonight. Ofsted is a mega flow. Um, you know, I, again, I, can't, I just can't help wasting the people's time. Nobody is here to listen to me. Stop waffling. Right. Tonight, what are we going to do? We have um, what I want to try and do is uh, kind of split up into sort of three areas. Uh, first thing I want to do is just talk about curriculum. I want to geek mm. out a bit over mm. curriculum, over knowledge, over the curriculum revolution. Yeah. Um, and then I want to talk about Ofsted and curriculum more specifically. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then we'll kind of, you know, we can talk about Ofsted a bit more generally and just sort of general issues and things that you know, people mm. raise when it comes to Ofsted. Cool? Yeah, that sounds really good. Outstanding. Right, let's get cracking there with curriculum. So knowing your background in history teaching... Mm. Um, I was wondering if you could sketch a kind of informal history of Ofsted's curriculum revolution. Yeah. The whole, I mean, to be honest, it's the whole country. Yeah. Uh, there's been a revolution in curricular thinking uh, and about, I guess, the, the emphasis of education. Um, could you just sort of sketch, mm. for, you know, you've been, you've been doing this since 94. Could you sketch for me exactly how that came about, what currents led to it, who are the major players, that kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. As you're talking about the 1994 does make me think that actually, I, I, I mean, back then I couldn't have commented about training in other subjects, but my, my history training back in 1994 uh, actually was a really good grounding in curriculum in terms of teaching history. But perhaps that sort of moulded my journey afterwards, I'm not sure. Um, and But, but it, it does go to show that that, that there's 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 been there's a lot of good thinking that exists and has existed for a long time in the sector. I'll sort of touch back on that later, I think. But I guess um, we both know that they, they, that um, England is quite distinctive because there's been um, a, a sort of a, a movement to think about the way the learning sciences can be uh, applied to thinking about um, education and schooling in particular, and that movement um, that that I think I think to an extent came from social media um, and had sort of influenced all sorts of different groups of decision makers. Um, it, it certainly, it, it certainly um, uh, influenced Amanda Spielman's thinking and when she became HMCI she was really um, focused and thought it was really important that when we think about what makes a quality of education that we should think about the implications of what we know about human cognition and those implications not just for pedagogy the way we might choose teaching activities but the implications in terms of what that means for what it is that um, children should be learning and indeed sort of stepping back a bit from that that uh, having an emphasis on that what which is which i think is a was was a was a sort of um new step or certainly a new re-emphasis compared with previous trends so so amanda uh when she began as hmci asked for this new focus on curriculum uh based on on research and that that research i think when we think about um what we know about human cognition i think one 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 aspect of that that's very um, influential when thinking about curriculum is is the insight about um, 
the knowledge you need to compre comprehend, not just that what you read, for example, informs you, but that to be able to read and understand a text uh, requires prior knowledge. And then something more sort of general than that, which is that comprehension in text is equivalent to the, the understanding that we need to learn anything new, that whenever we learn anything new, we build on what we already know. Um, and uh, insights of schema theory are really helpful as well when we think about um, how what we learn, uh, how we hold knowledge in the mind like a web, and then we learn new things. We learn them by relating them to what we already know, and that we get this expanding web of knowledge. And those sorts of insights have have real curricular implications because they speak to the importance of thinking about knowledge, the importance of thinking about what children need to learn, the prior building blocks they need to learn, if they're likely to be successful later. So I guess you were asking about Ofsted's journey. And what that meant was that Amanda commissioned research, new research for Ofsted to undertake, uh, and that was undertaken by the research and evaluation team. There are three phases of the research research and also to commission to look at what 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 the research was which did exist so that commission to look at the research which did exist that was led by our then head of research Daniel Mers and it's still published on gov.uk a really um, useful summary document called an uh, called overview of research very excitingly um, which summarizes uh, some of the implications for um, for schooling of, of, of the research, for example, from cognitive psychology and what we know in human cognition. Um, and then our own three phases of curriculum research, which were thinking about what schools understand by curriculum, that, what schools that mark themselves out as having a curriculum focus, what they'd be thinking about. And also then that third phase, which was testing um, what what we were considering might be the areas of curriculum quality that we would want to inspect and testing those for validity. So um, that was that was the work that we did. I mean, Adam, I could put that in a little bit more context as well in terms of uh, the kind of thought processes we went through as an inspectorate, because it's a little bit different, really, from what you think about when you're leading in school. There's some sort of extra layers of implications when you need to think about inspection. So would that be good? Let, let, let's hold that for one sec, mm. if that's all right, because mm. I really just want to get the nerding about curriculum first, if that's mm. all right. Mm. Um, one of the things that you mentioned was um, the ability to decipher a text is yeah. predicated on your prior knowledge, right? That, that kind of implies uh, an, an outcome or a goal, which is that we want people to be able to kind of read these texts. Mm. But, pres but presumably there are significantly significant goals of education that don't include whether or not a student can read a you know absolutely lay, you know as a as, as an educated layperson mm -hmm. can access mm -hmm. you know, a wide variety of subjects yeah i think the, it's, it's simply that the implication is much broader than application to reading in particular the implication of the fact that what we know in prior allows us to understand, you know, what what we, what we encounter subsequently, whether that's encountering it through text, through what we see in the world, what we hear in conversation. So um, whatever it is that we encounter through our senses, um, we we make sense on, on, of based on what we already know. So there's particular research, which is reading based around comprehension, but that insight is far broader. 
Um, and it's it's the inside of schema theory where we think about um, that that kind of ever expanding schema as 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 someone sort of gradually builds more complex understanding of of the world around them or for particular topics, whatever it might be. So yes, there's there's a real insight for reading, but that insight that insight is is much is is in, is actually applies to learning more generally. We make sense of uh, what what we are going to learn next, what we encounter in the world through what we already know. So we have to think about what's prior, which allows us to learn the next thing. Cool. Thank you. Thank you. Um, now, one of the things you mentioned is that um, that this is this is this is a change, right? It's a change yeah. to the way Ofsted have done things before. It's that you mentioned your training. Um, it will, yeah. You know, there's 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 quite you know, strong suggestion that this is different to the way that many teachers were trained. Uh, mm-hmm. Certainly, I guess people of my generation and below. I was, you know, I trained in twenty thirteen, um, and I guess what you know, and there are people who who maintain that this is the way that actually what what is being touted now as something new and something revolutionary is actually the way that they have always done it. Could you just to you, you know, for you, what is the most salient, and I want you to be as concrete as possible, what is the most salient difference between, I guess, thinking about things in a curricular fashion and yeah. thinking about things in the way that people thought about them before we thought about them in a curricular fashion, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense. So obviously with that proviso talking, just referring back to my 94 training, it isn't necessarily Of, yeah, days, of course, but, of course. But of no, course. I, I do know what you're getting at. And I, and I think when we think about Ofsted's framework, we're thinking about something which was a corrective to a pendulum slim swing, excuse me, um, in education. So I think for a while, there had it had it has been the case that there's been a strong focus on rather than thinking about what it is that children need to learn. So if we think, you know, society has uh, has goals for for children and parents have goals for what they want children to learn through their schooling, um, and um, rather than necessarily thinking about what. Uh, in great detail about what the building blocks are in terms of knowledge that children might need, know that and know how. Um, the, rather than thinking about those building blocks so much, that the focus on the nature of what makes a quality of education, in other words, the drivers for school improvement, so to speak, were all based around sort of the nature of the learning activity, the nature of the type of um, uh, teaching activity that might be chosen. So you'd have a topic and then you're rather than sort of reflecting on, okay, what do I need to teach um, sort of the steps or the building blocks to ensure that uh, this more complex idea is learned and understood or this more complex activity can be undertaken and the capacity is there to do that. So rather than that sort of what thinking, there was a strong tendency to move immediately to a how, to move to an activity and think about the nature of activities which would be uh, considered to be, uh, if those sorts of under- activities were undertaken, that would mean that this was a quality of education. And that meant there was sort of the the heart of education in that sense was lost because the substance of education which is a a term that Amanda Spielman uses isn't being considered what it is that needs to be learned whatever it is that your goals for what children need to learn what are those building blocks of know that know how that children need along the way to learn those and so I, I think that sort of 
em emphasis on activity um, without first thinking about what it is that needs to be learned through the activity step by step in as much detail, or at least that not being the focus of considerations in terms when thinking about quality of education. I think that's one thing that typifies the, the sort of corrective that in a sense EIF offers through being, you know, moving back in the pendulum swing. But I think that also we can think about that emphasis is a related point, but an emphasis on on acquiring skill, you know, very much desirable capacities for, that we would like children to learn through their schooling. But again, without thinking about the actual underpinning expertise, knowledge that's necessary to be able to perform skillfully in that area. So again, that, that, that sort of gap where the substance of education, the what might be being considered. Um, and I'd say, you know, that, that kind of thinking about the what um, is, is, is the heart and soul of, 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 uh, of effective teaching. The, the teacher thinking about kind of where, their child, where the children are now in the class and what it's going to take to move them from where they are so that they, through what they've learned, are able now to learn to get to something more complex, whether in terms of more complex idea or the capacity to undertake a more complex activity. Does that make sense? It certainly does. Yeah, I think the uh, the 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 way that I, the way that I've put it before is the difference between being resource led and being content led. Yeah. Right, where you're kind of thinking about what. Uh, your resource could be anything. It could be a PowerPoint, it could be a worksheet, it could be some group activity, it could even be time. But it's where you're allowing something that isn't the substance of education to determine what you're doing in the classroom. Yeah, and I guess it's also a point about the cart before, you know, I like I like my little sayings, the cart before the horse. You know, it's not that we don't want to think about the nature of effective activity, effective pedagogy, but effective towards what? What was it yeah. that was going to be learned? Because that, that that changes in so many small, subtle ways what will be an effective activity, the actual particular content that needs to be learned in that moment. Hmm. Well, I mean, I, you know, I think about the, uh, the, the first school that I worked at, we had, um, I'm very blessed the school that I work at at the moment, we don't have this kind of nonsense, but we had um, the blue sky performance management target oh, right. thing, yeah. where you had obviously, which, oh, sorry, I shouldn't have mentioned, um, it's an Am I allowed to do oh, whatever? It's an online platform that monitors people's professional learning and performance management thing that is not made by Oxford University Press, who are one of our sponsors for this evening. Uh, somebody else completely. Um, and uh, it's you had to so you've got three targets. Normally one of them is data. It's about all classes making progress or some such. Um, uh, we say in uh, for the benefit of those people who don't know me, I'm Jewish. And uh, in Yiddish, we say nourishkeit. It just means nonsense. And um, one I remember vividly in my NQT year, one of my targets was to just do more group work. Mm, and yeah. and I, I think back on it now, like I don't do it. You know, I don't do any group work now. Um, and you know, that's that's my personal position. I don't I don't necessarily have a problem with group work. I think you know, in my school, the maths department uses huge amounts of group work uh, and they are their their results their progress eight for maths in the Totteridge Academy is seventh highest in the entire country so it's not like I have any problem with group mm. work my issue is it's very difficult to get it to work but anyway looking back my problem was that, um, that I was just like I was just saying do more group work it wasn't like 
when the subject demands it or when yes. the content requires it. And yeah. So, for example, one thing that my that our maths department does is they are really, you know, they put boundary conditions and they say, right, when is group work likely to be useful? What type of uh, learning is it likely to be useful? What type of thing that we are trying to teach the children is group work going to help us with? They mm. don't just say, oh, well, today I'm going to do some group work. Mm. Uh, it's just it's just not how they roll um okay so so i so the, the next one's a bit then you know thinking about the what it, it's interesting because it's it's very subject specific isn't it you know and and within science for example there's there's such little debate about yes. what should be in the uh, curriculum yes. and what yeah. shouldn't be yeah. in the curriculum like we have you know i i happen to think um and i'm sure you're not going to be allowed to comment as a member of the civil service but i happen to think the national curriculum for science is a really poor document because it doesn't it doesn't specify anything um it just says students need to learn about atoms elements molecules and compounds what about them any in particular they need to know about the properties of group one anything in particular or just mm. properties in general so and i think that makes life a bit difficult but we do have very well developed yes. exam specifications right so it's not the not the national curriculum but the you know aqa or so the exam boards, not that I'd want to advocate any particular one, um, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. Um, but, you know, they, they give a very, you know, highly defined exam specification. So it's really clear what you need to teach. And within the science community, like there's not much, you know, it's not a huge amount of disagreement. Um, you know, you don't get many people saying, let's not bother teaching ionic bonding. Um, it just yes, doesn't, it just exactly. doesn't really happen. Yeah. Whereas yeah. in your subjects like history or English, um, it's, it's way more, uh, it's yeah. it's more fraught because you can have a huge variation from school to school because one school will teach one period, another school will teach a different period, one school will teach one text, another school will teach a different text. And you can have students who go through their entire schooling learning history in school A and school B down the road, they'll also be doing history and they'll learn, you know, they could learn very little in common. Uh, and I guess my question is like, who who is it that, that makes that decision? Like, why is it that what it could it, decision could be down to just one teacher at the end of the day who happens to have learned about the shang dynasty or whatever and therefore yeah. teaches it to their kids like that is that, that that it's it's a lot to place on the teacher um and and if that that's kind of what the whole curriculum revolution is predicated on it 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 introduces a system level a worrying inconsistency mm, yeah so so I think I quite like to just step up, sort of work towards the, the kind of question you've got there, Adam. Is that okay? I'm not even sure what the question was. <laughs> I, I, I think I'll work one out. So yeah, but I, I, that's fine. So I think first of all, that there's a real what you're getting at there is a real you know difference in subject, and particularly there's there's a particular difference in subject groupings which is pertinent here, and it's between what we might call hierarchical subjects and what we might call cumulative subjects and so by hierarchical subjects I mean subjects like maths and to an extent science where um, to, to a degree um, uh, th th there's a sort of a fair, fair, really kind of well-worn path in terms of what you, awareness of what you need to learn next given what you've learned before by and large. Um, whereas, as you rightly say, in subjects like mine, history, other humanities, um, English literature, again, you know, it's sort of subject that's very, very fraught, that, that, that there's a, that there are some different considerations that we need to think about. But 
the, the, I think the more general point I want to get at before exploring those sort of more cumulative subjects in, in more detail is I still think that, that part of the issue is that in, it plays out in different ways. But at the heart of, um, of perhaps some of the sort of uh, less helpful ways of thinking about quality of education in both cases, the hierarchical subjects like math, for example, or to an extent science and more cumulative subjects, it, there, there is a lack of thinking about what. Now, in the case of um, so if we think about um, the case of, say, uh, you know, science or, or maths, you you might well, uh, you probably do have a quite clear idea because you tend to all teach the same things. There's some very uh, evolving over time. There are some quite clear what we might call progression models, sort of, you know, curriculum plans that identify uh, sort of what needs to be taught. But perhaps what's less clear in the case of, of these hierarchical subjects is is what needs to be emphasised, how much emphasis it, ne- emphasis it needs, and also just a sort of more clear insight when a child isn't successful in science maths or indeed in cumulative subjects when they're not successful the one thing we can be absolutely sure of is that they do not have the schema they need to be successful the capacity to you know perform in that test to show the understanding necessary uh, or to have the understanding necessary the capacity to do the more complex task that's that they haven't learned what they needed to Some, something prior didn't go well and so that it, we may, in the case of maths and science, be fairly sure that we've identified what those prior blocks are, but perhaps we're not as clear about um, what what needed to be learned and how well it needed to be learned. You know, perhaps in the case of maths and science, it wasn't that those things weren't taught at some point, but the most important aspects didn't get the necessary emphasis. There wasn't the necessary practice to ensure that they were learned. And when trying to explain the, the, the lack of success of children, um, for example, in science and maths, perhaps not the awareness of the need to think about what was prior and whether it was secure. Um, and, and the same actually applies in, in subjects like humanities. But in those subjects, there's, there's often a more fundamental question. Was what is was needed subsequently ever identified at all? And so if we think, for example, the sort of classic example, of this might be reading comprehension in year six. You know, we think about the reading tests in year six. If children don't do well in those reading tests in year six and they're not doing well at reading comprehension, you know, the, the, the most the most fundamental question we can ask is, you know, what was it they didn't learn that meant that they wouldn't have success in this test? What And are we thinking about what the right building blocks would be? You know, are we busy sort of kind of labouring comprehension strategies when there's really kind of mountainous levels of research that show that they're quite time limited in the effect that they, that, that, or the, the kind of um, what they can add to a child's capacity to comprehend? Or um, are we thinking really carefully about for a child that's relying on their schooling for their education, you know, what, what, what it is that they need to learn so that they have that kind of broad base of knowledge so that they have access to a passage in year six. So there's very, you know, there are differences by subject, but even so across subjects, we can see that we need in our conception of a quality of education and and thinking and our thinking about school improvement we could say in our theory of change an appreciation of that uh, knowledge gap as an explanation for educational failure 
Um, and so I think, you know, comprehension, sorry, comprehension curriculum is it remains at the heart of those those um, those different explanations, even though they play out differently in different subjects. So I think that's the kind of that's kind of first thing I want to say, just to sort of explore those subject differences a bit more. But, okay. Uh, yeah, but uh, but if, if if you sort of like me to carry on, I can sort of talk a little bit more about um, some of the the sort of more pressing questions in subjects where it isn't as obvious as perhaps in maths and science. What are the things that need to be taught? Yeah, I, I mean, I uh, yeah, go, go for it because I think um, you know, reflecting on what you're saying is really interesting. Um, I think I think even within I don't know maths, but I think even within science, I think there is there is a bit of wiggle i guess because mm. um yeah. the order in which you teach stuff and and you know i'm, I'm going to build up to a bigger question about this yeah. a bit later on but like i think most of the time in uh in in science a lot of people are stressing out quite a bit about which order you should teach stuff in mm. and i think a lot of the time and and i have my you know i'm holding my hands up here i've written um a lot about how to properly sequence science curriculum over time and um i come to think about it now and i'm just not 100 percent sure it matters all that much like you know physics is a great example you know there are fierce debates about whether you should do forces or energy first yeah uh, and i'm like who cares you know <laughs> it's like you know you can make an argument for one or the other but like, it's going to make a marginal yeah. difference if anything to, to student outcomes yeah, I think I think that there's just a more fundamental question there. If you begin with forces, sorry, what was the other one you said? I should know this. My husband's uh, a energy. teacher. Energy. Yeah, so if you begin with forces, what is it about energy that that isn't going to yet be appreciated? If you begin with energy, what is it about forces that's needed that isn't going to be appreciated? That or is is the is the teacher sort of teaching one without really thinking about how what they need to do to mitigate for the fact that they haven't been able to teach the other first because there might be all sorts of different orders all sorts of different pathways we can take through content so if we think about history you know if um say um i'm teaching a mixed age primary class um which means that i can't always teach in chronological order even if you know that that was what i wanted to do you know i i might ideally want to teach teach the Greeks first and then the Romans and there's all sorts of logical chronological reasons why you might want to do that but you know it's mixed age class if the next year of the cycle I need to teach the Romans first and then I'm going to have to do the Greeks well you know it, that might not be the most logical order but there are things about the way I will teach that will take account and the content I will choose that will take account of the different explanatory thread that is necessary for that pathway so yes there can be different pathways that you can choose there could be many roads to heaven but if you're taking account of what a child needs to know already that's really helpful it makes me think actually about um i was talking to my daughter that's just begun a level history which chuffs me no end obviously that she of course that she, she is of course she, that is. she well no i mean you say that i had to stay very quiet to uh, to, <laughs> you're gonna to, have to hold to, back from writing because, from critiquing uh, her essays you know that right well no that's she's she's not the sort that likes to share them anyway so which is probably lucky all round but i but but she's also the sort of person that would have immediately perhaps done the opposite if i'd advised her one way so right, I, right, right. I stayed quite quiet in that but she's 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 looking at uh british history um so from the beginning of the 20th century and um i was having a conversation with our history lead tim jenner uh, about this and we we're talking about this in a meeting um 
just on Friday, and he was talking about the kind of uh, the mass of prior content or prior knowledge necessary to understand, first of all, the ins and outs of politics when talking about the elect the elections early in the 20th century, then moving on to economic history and a whole range of concepts that underpin the ability to grasp that, then moving on to social history. And it's really striking how excluded from access to that period of history, you know, a, 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 a student embarking on A-level might be if they just don't have knowledge of some some priors in terms of, you know, things, some bits of political knowledge, economic knowledge, uh, uh, stuff about elections, for example. What is a by-election for a start? I mean, you mm. know, so on, and then it goes on and on, political parties, you know, the whole dynamics of, of, of elections. Uh, and, um, but if, a ch- if, if the teacher isn't aware, and I'm giving an A-level example here, we yeah. could, you know, go back right back to, you know, earliest, you know, back to the reading comprehension example, year six, or right back to reception. If, if, we're, if we're not aware of what actually you need to already know to be able to understand this next bit, then we're not going to be as successful in our teaching. Or if we're not as, as aware that it was taught, but actually forgotten, and we can't just go through the motions of teaching it. We need to just be aware. It's what you know. It's a, it's a it's 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 something that's as I say. It's at the heart and soul of 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 of, of what effective teaching is. Of of what being effective as a teacher is about is, you know, taking the class that you've got from where they are, working out what they need to learn next, given what they already know, to take them somewhere new. And we need a model of quality of education we need a conception of quality of education that takes account of this because if our conception is based around perhaps preferred teaching activities we're not we're not touching on some of the most fundamental questions that teachers need to think about just right down at the kind of nitty-gritty level of, of a sequence of lessons as well as in more broad curriculum planning um, or the sort of even broader kind of school level thinking Cool. Got it. Okay. Excellent. Right. Okay. As I promised, I'm going to have to, because I can't get the jingles to work. <laughs> I'm going to read out the adverts. Okay, doke. Wait, wait, let me find them. Hang on. Hang on. Hang on. Here we go. Oh, here we go. Right. One of the sponsors of this show is Oxford University Press. If you need support with your phonics teaching, Oxford University Press has three DFE validated programs to help you. Read, write, and, read, write including phonics, floppies phonics, and a brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. Essential Letters and Sound will get all your children reading well quickly using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use, and makes teaching phonics with letters and sound more effective. To find out more about these programs and receive support from your OEP expert local education consultant, visit uh, oxfordprimary.com forward slash phonics. That was the sponsor number one. Sponsor number two is Mal CPD. If you struggle with people pleasing and find it's a constant battle to manage diff- different and difficult personalities, then why not challenge and empower your team through the Mal CPD Essential Coaching Skills for School Leaders course? Alternatively, uh, gain, pr- gain practical sk- skills to become a strong and compassionate leader through the Assertive Leadership Emotionally Intelligent Leadership course. All Mal CPD courses are accredited by the Institute of Leadership and Management. Find out more at malcpd.com. Hooray! Adverts are done. Okay, cool. Um, now, what I want to do is um, I'm going to start segueing over to section two, which is about Ofsted. Okay. Yeah. This question is going to be a bit long. Okay. So bear with me. It's It's got many parts, right? Part number one. 
is you mentioned the terms cumulative and hierarchical mm -hmm. as words that are useful in discussing uh, curriculum, right? Now, uh, a while ago, um, I'm actually going to the date. When did I do this? In, in June of 2019, I wrote a docu document called the uh, One Stop Shop for Curriculum, which had a series of key words with some definitions and examples, impacts and teaching, some and some further reading, right? Okay, so this is me holding hands up, right? The first ones I did were hierarchical and, cum hierarchical and cumulative. I then did sequencing macro, I did spiral, I did threads, I did big ideas, I did big questions, I did specificity, I did progression model, I did schema, I did core, I did hinterland, I did substantive, I did disciplinary, I did declarative, I did procedural, I did disciplinary literacy, I did abstract, I did concrete, I did universals, I did particulars, I did explanatory, I did objective knowledge, I did subjective knowledge, I did ill-defined, well-defined, I did context-dependent, I did context-independent, I did utilitarian, essentialist, powerful knowledge, and cultural capital. Right, so that's just part one of the question. Um, part two of the question is some of the absolute nonsense that is springing up around curriculum, left, right, and centre. Um, so you know, I'm I'm very blessed um, that I get to do a lot of um, like uh, work with a lot of different people, and I've done a lot of uh, like head of department coaching. Uh, and some of the stuff that people are, are either doing because they think it's the right thing to do or being made to do um, is just totally bananas. Um, you know, I know that in your work you've already written about the that people don't need to write curriculum intent statements, yeah. but also the tube maps that people are doing, these yeah. putting icons on everything. Um, I spoke to a head of department who had to align every one of her year eight chemistry units with a school-wide uh, core soft skill. So her periodic table unit had to, had to deal with the core skill of empathy. Um, I got a message from a head of department asking for help who was being asked to completely interleave their curriculum. So essentially um, teach three units in one go um, so like you had lesson one, two oh, and three in a week, uh, but topic A, then topic B, then topic C. And then the next week we'll be back to topic A, topic B, topic C. Um, so absolute nonsense going on here. And we've got all of these key terms that, that you might yeah. find useful. Um, and I guess my question then is um, from both a sort of, you know, dispassionate observer mm. perspective and from an Ofsted perspective. Look, th this curriculum revolution started from the ground up, right? It started with the bloggers and the tweeters and the Christian councils and the et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and then Ofsted takes a notice and now it goes top down. Um, and I guess my question is, were, were we really ready for this? Given that there is so much to know, you know, the reason why myths proliferate is because of the lack of knowledge, right? So, so, you know, nobody, very few people have myths about how to make a bowl of pasta, right? Because it's, well, I mean, I guess people might debate the amount of salt, right? Maybe that's not the best example, but things that people know about, like things that are common knowledge, right? Mm -hmm. There aren't so many myths, yeah, where people drive, yeah? So everybody knows that right of way, uh, which way right of way around about comes from. There's no like debate, there's no mistakes, there are no myths, there are no perversions that come out of that. Um, and I guess my question is that, that given there's such a, a body of knowledge that's required in order to be useful, and given that some of that body of knowledge is quite arcane, quite obscure, quite difficult to get to grips with, were we ready for there to be a curriculum revolution? And is the fact that there have that all of these nonsenses have sprung up, is that not a proof that we weren't ready? Does that make sense? 
Yeah, I think I it told you a bit long question, right? No, no, no. I understand entirely what what you're asking. I um, I, just obviously lots of little bits I could address. I sort of all sorts of thoughts <laughs> scurrying through my head. And, yeah, well, and, I made I made the question up as I was going. So no doubt that's going to happen. Yeah. So um, so I think first of all, I I just to take to take us back to that really fundamental point. We need when we think about what is a quality of education what is going to improve education of our children and we will be thinking about that what you know whatever whatever is in Ofsted's framework there will there will be all sorts of drivers that mean that uh, schools are considering those questions but just there's, there's a really basic insight here you know re- it's it's not complicated it's it's this really basic insight that you know there's something that goes before that needs to be learned for the next bit of learning to be possible and that does actually need consideration and when it's not well considered it can lead to problems and so you know we 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 can see that in sort of really stark ways so you know um if 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 i you know if i want if i if if we decide that it's important for our children to learn about the egyptians but when when they do their topic of the Egyptians, it it largely involves kind of wrapping wrapping each other up in toilet rolls, and that's all that's remembered. Which is great fun, that's, to be fair. Yeah, absolutely, um, and, and and which is probably why the wrapping is is what is remembered rather than perhaps something about Egyptian religious practices or or, or whatever else, or, or even something a little bit more nuanced about religion. That the kind of that will help children as they learn more complex things later. So, um, you know. If, if 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 that's what's happening, then then children aren't going to be successful in the ways we need them to. Successful for their, you know, to have choices in life. Successful in a more sort of fundamental way in terms of human flourishing. If we're thinking about the aims of education, so you know, it, it's really important that children do have are able to uh, have the possibility of 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 success academically you know of, of learning what they need to learn through their schooling so we've got to have a, a way of thinking about quality of education that does have as its center the importance of what it is children learn and what they're going to need to learn along the way to get there and if as happened in in sort of past trends that's become sidelined and that focus of quality of education has been on sort of you know as I say you know the activity or whatever else that's not going to happen so so there's actually something really simple and fundamental but I think the other, the other thing to say is that it's always the case that something is that there are different levels at which we can think about these sorts of questions. So um, obviously, you know, Ofsted, we've been the work of our curriculum unit has been publishing research reviews and those research reviews, you know, we, we want them to be as accessible to as many people as possible. You know, the more the merrier, anyone that wants to read them and would like to get something from them, we want them as, as, as much as possible to have access. But really that sort of thinking in those research reviews is very much the thinking, which is the sort of thinking that subject communities of subject experts, the sorts of people that would be thinking about curriculum content might be wanting to discuss together. And the sorts of people that then might be writing a primary curriculum that a small primary school that perhaps doesn't have a great deal of subject expertise might then use. So there's a discussion that needs to be had um, which is at, at different levels. There's a more complex discussion, which rightly so needs to happen, for example, among subject communities in Ofsted, where we're thinking about a conception of quality in subjects. We'll, we'll be wanting to engage with that and, uh, but, and, and be thinking about them. We'll be wanting to share that thinking. But that isn't necessarily what 
uh, what a primary teacher that isn't a subject specialist needs to be engaging and they don't need you know it, it's open it's it's you know we certainly want everyone that wants to to engage but um what's most important is that um is that uh the primary schools, for example, perhaps Wolf Primary Schools is the sort of classic example that, that they have available to them, for example, a scheme of work they can use. So we see that in through phonics schemes of work. We see that in math schemes of work that, that exist. And we don't expect uh, a sort of non-specialist primary teacher, you know, new, newly qualified, etc., to sort of reinvent the wheel and make up a phonics scheme from scratch or uh, and understand all the terminology and all the theory that might sit behind that or math scheme from scratch and and neither should that be the case that there should be a pressure for them to engage in those more complex discussions and debates which might be what people that um have a more subject specific interest for example might be interested in engaging in and also the kind of discussions that many people on twitter enjoy and want to engage in cool. and i guess that's sort of um that that's kind of one of these myth busting areas you know ofsted don't have um any preference for a homegrown curriculum full of bits of terminology uh, sort of or anything of that sort you know if in whatever way a curriculum is acquired, as long as it can be used effectively by the schools that's using it, um, that that that's fabulous. There there isn't any sort of preference or need for for every individual teacher to engage in all the complexities. I'm just going to jump in there for a sec because you're 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 advocating essentially an, an organisational model, right, where you have subject associations feeding into things, you have schools as essentially the consumer of that product um or even of you know you might have certain private organizations who are involved as aside from you know i guess the subject community but, yeah. but like we're advocating a system that doesn't exist you know i i even even in science where things are quite well developed um you know every, pretty much every school i know is having to that they're, 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 they're starting with something that comes from some centralized private outfit but like that or but but then they're, they're having to do stuff to it just because the quality is not good enough um and you know the, the subjects associations haven't produced anything right there's nothing come out of the you know there if you go onto like the royal society of chemistry website they have lots of resources lots of worksheets and stuff like that but there's no there's no curriculum to speak of uh, the same applies for royal society of biology the institute of physics uh, the association of science educators like there is no there's no off-the-shelf curriculum that you could just get and implement it just it just doesn't exist and even if you take a resource that is really strong you always end up because of the accumulated detritus of um, many years of kind of uh resource build up and ways of habit and ways of doing things that you know no one's gonna i've got 14 booklets on my website year seven and eight i think they're really good right but if if another school takes them and doesn't adapt them then they're going to end up getting screwed when it comes to their assessment points they're going to lose a whole bunch of useful stuff if they just do that wholesale off the shelf uh, and that's that is within a subject like science which is so well defined and so well established um and i just i really worry that there's that that there's it it might be that we're saying that teachers shouldn't have to do x just you know just even remove Ofsted from the equation uh, to do to have a decent curriculum you shouldn't have to know all of these words and have to build it up from scratch yourself but like that is what's happening yeah it sounds like in a sense that that what you're what you're arguing and obviously can sort of 
think about some of the parts of it in a moment, but is is rather than sort of a, a, a kind of criticism of Ofsted for our conception of, a, of, you know, the sort of simple conception of thinking about the importance of the substance of education, but sort of bewailing the fact that 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 the resource the resources that you encounter could could be better quality and, and but, I but, but offset, a, but offset a, is a part of that because because yeah. we then jump in with the top down thing it puts an imperative on people to act right yeah well i, I mean as i say i think well the first thing that I, I, there's probably a few things i should say having lots of connections <laughs> with subject associations you know i think there are lots of subject associations that, that produce lots of materials and also there's a really distinct difference between primary and secondary mm. a lot of the arguments around sort of uh or you know genuine concerns around you know can we do this uh from the primary sector uh you know that there, there there's a there's a difference in terms of what's available and you know obviously i gave the example of what's available in in for reading and maths for example where there are very widely available programs um and uh that there are there are the sorts of programs that are available so i i think you know that there's all you know that there, there's the kind of you know there, there's you know the the what the what 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 would be ideal what would be you know I, when you talk to me about the, the the struggles you have with the quality of what you see um and you know i sympathize with those because as as a teacher as a head of department you know thinking about curriculum leading on curriculum i also want the very best curriculum possible and that you know I, for me that would involve lots and lots of refinement to improve that mm. but um that 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 um and and that that's the you know the council of excellence isn't it and we but, but that doesn't mean that some thought and care into what it is that children need to learn, just to get back to that point I keep saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. first, to be able to learn next, you know, be able to do the next bit, just that simple emphasis and consideration and making sure that it is learned, you know, that's at the heart of Oster's framework. It isn't, you know, it isn't the case that it is asking for um the, the, the ideal curriculum that you or I might dream of and persist towards or, you know, keep seeking like the Holy Grail um, because, because, because we're curriculum geeks and we, or, you know, we, we want to keep making this better and we are so aware of what could be better about mm. what we see. And, and I think, you know, there, there's a distinct difference between, you know, the, the, the kind of honing that, that can go on among experts, expert groups, uh, those that those that have interest, and the, the just those those simple points. If you look at our framework in terms of those, just those simple questions around uh, uh, the, the focus of what you're thinking about when you're thinking about what you teach pupils. All right. So it's it. I I hear what you're saying. You're you're saying. Let me let me just just so I can make sure I'm 100% getting it. You're saying that um, cut through the overcomplications, cut through the, I guess, the filigree at the edges of things, and just zoom in on that sort of central question is of what do I want my students to know and why? Yeah, or, or I suppose what I'm saying is that the, it's right and proper that there are different sorts of debates and questions right. and discussions that go on in different parts of the sector. But and for that's your entirely appropriate that that should be the case. And, and we can see, as I say, if I use the illustration of a phonics scheme, no one expects you, you know your new reception teacher to have dreamed that up from scratch. Yeah. And they certainly shouldn't be. And 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 the, you know there's there, there is you know the, 
there are things that are available and we can think about how we use them to ensure that children have learned what they need to pre uh, and can build on that. I think one actually question about that, one other thing about that it, that's, that's quite interesting is that a lot, you know, you talk about sequencing. Yeah. A lot of the time there's a lot of talk about that, that word sequencing and sometimes I think it's a red herring and, and that's because, um, the, the, you know, that question of what needs to be taught or in the cases of, of subjects like science and maths were perhaps a little bit evident what needs to be emphasized or what needs to be remembered for the next bit and being really clear about that you know that's um that that's more you know that's more significant in a sense that first question and the sequencing well when i've decided that the, the the different roads to heaven the different pathways it's quite interesting and there's lots of different pathways that you can take um but to an extent, if you've already thought about the nature of what it is that children need to know or should have learned uh, for the next bit, the sequencing is almost an easy discussion by comparison because it sort of takes care of itself. It becomes more evident what those pathways might be. Yep. Um, and so, you know, when I hear discussions about curriculum quality that centre around sequencing, um, of, I mean, I'm not, they, can, they can obviously be very constructive, but it tends to just send off a little alarm bell in my head that perhaps there isn't necessarily that more significant thinking about the, the kind of building blocks of content that sit under that you know what was it the children needed to learn um and i think that's you know because th sequencing topics it's sort of that that's thinking about a curriculum at that level which is a logical level that you know happens a lot but perhaps less so that just that basic question what was it they need to learn or needed to learn if they were to be successful in this next bit all right. I, I think I think I get it. I think I get it. Um, look, I mean, you've mentioned the Holy Grail once and the path to heaven twice. You're begging <laughs> me to ask you about original sin, aren't you? Oh, goodness. I think it must be my religious background. Trying very hard to sort of, um, but it will will leak out. OK, Heather, what is Amanda Spielman's position on original sin? I really couldn't possibly <laughs> say. <laughs> She's not told me. <laughs> oh, unbelievable. The people need to know. Um, all right, fine. Okay, we'll we'll shy away from original sin. Um, we we can, you know, we should do a, we should do another chat where we just do we work through Genesis one and two. Okay, we can just, we can just see how we get on. Um, okay, so so look, I I know you've addressed the primary thing, um, but I wrote down a long question. I want to make sure I yeah. ask it because at. at it, mm. at risk of repetition but i think it is really important yeah. um okay so so i'm going to read out what i wrote okay yeah. so ofsted focus on curriculum subject specialism puts a big strain on schools who do not have the capacity to nurture such specialisms in secondaries there might be small schools or schools which struggle with staffing have teachers teaching out their specialism but most secondaries should be able to make a decent go of it primaries different story completely how are primaries supposed to develop deep curricular expertise when they may have fewer than... And actually, sorry, I'm going to edit that. De develop deep curricular expertise or subject knowledge when they have fewer than seven or eight teachers who are already overworked and time poor. Even if they have more than that, the odds are good that many of them don't have degrees in the subjects they teach. So the question then, okay, is yeah. what, what do you say to that beleaguered head teacher? who is looking at the education inspection framework, they're looking at their seven or eight teaching staff, they're looking at COVID absences, they're looking at kids who have been through hell over the last year and a half, and the very last thing on their mind is, okay, I need to take this Egyptian unit, and whereas in the past we will have been wrapping people up in toilet paper and building model pyramids, it now needs to be knowledge-rich, 
It needs to be focused on the content and the stuff that the students need to know about the Egyptians. How is that head teacher supposed to deal with it? Yeah, I guess, I, I mean, I, I think that I, to typify the head teachers not wanting to think about, you know, the, as I say, the heart and soul of, of, the, of, of effective teaching, you know, what it is, you know, by these children that have had a difficult time how am I going to catch them up you know what what am I going to do you know immediately we have a curriculum question you know okay so so much schooling's been missed what are the bits that I'm going to teach them I've got less time what bits can I teach them how can I organize things so that we in some way help these children that have missed so much schooling so in in that beleaguered uh, you know, head teachers have gone through so much. They've worked so hard. It's been incredibly different, time, difficult time for schools, and yet schools have the children in front of them. They need to teach, and those children are children that have missed so much schooling. And immediately, that curriculum question does is, is the question that arises: What is it I do teach? What is it? How is it? I work out what I teach or don't teach uh, or the order in which I do things now. Or do I include some things and not others? How much time do I spend on things? Those are just fundamentally curriculum questions. And it's it's sort of uh, if when seeking answers to those, th those really basic principles, which I won't reiterate again. Mm. Yeah. Sort of really, really sing out as, as the kind of guiding lights for head teachers at such a difficult time to help them as they're trying to make those d decisions in the most difficult circumstances um so so i, I think that you know I, I think that's i think that's the thing I'd, I'd say sort of most most importantly that um that that because curriculum is at the heart and heart of a quality education and thinking about what it is that children actually need to learn to have the success that we might hope um, that 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 that, it, that provides the helpful answer it provides some for, form of guide and solution um, in in terms of obviously the it, inspectors just on a more just to sort of say a few more practical things in terms of inspection the the um, off offset inspectors are school leaders themselves HMI have been school leaders and that's why they they've become HMI and the most like most of them are still very strongly connected to people that are still within schools they and have seen what is happening and the difficulties of that and that actually we're very aware of those struggles and we they are very much part of what we do take into account and i guess you know i sit on twitter and and, and you 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 see people in difficult circumstances that feeling frustration about Ofsted and so I don't want to downplay any particular experience that individuals have had but what I would say is that the by far the most common response to um, Ofsted inspection at the moment is thanks for it being constructive and that's surprisingly even when grades have gone down for example so that there's there's a there's a real difference perhaps between the kind of rhetoric that comes through on social media and, and individual uh, kind of reactions and experiences and what tends to be the case and, and and that is for the reasons I say that the inspectors on the ground are are only too aware of where schools are and what they've been going through you know you talked about the, that that beleaguered head teacher um, you know tr looking to see do what I've said one I think actually a lot of the time it's because perhaps you know it, it, seeking to find what might be the solution 
actually, if you do look at Ofsted's handbook, it, it's and uh, for inspection, if if that is what you are seeking to do, because it's surprising how rarely it's read, and actually, mm. it would be quite a comfort to when you read it. It's actually largely dispels a lot of the myths which do exist and that and all the other materials that we produce um, if anything should provide some uh, some reassurance um, that a lot of what you hear about what inspection is and what will be considered uh, you know, is, is perhaps part of not, not necessarily the case and, and just looking at you know, what Ofsted have themselves produced could be really quite helpful in that situation. So um, I've sort of talked around your question in various ways there, I think. Um, do, do prompt me if there's anything you want me to elaborate on. No, no, I, I, think, I think you've answered it. I think that it's very difficult because it, in such a high stakes context, it's almost inevitable that people will, will use another Yiddish word. The Yiddish word we use is plutz. It means worry. Like they'll worry and they'll, they'll, they'll you know, look at it is it, the, the stakes are high and and heads roll um, sometimes justifiably sometimes not but like the stakes are high and no one can I don't think anyone can debate I don't think anyone would can argue whether or not the stakes are high and that means that that people are gonna seek to to I don't know if overkill is the right word but they're gonna try and do as much as they can and it's it's you know I work in a school where we don't mention Ofsted it's just not a thing. We don't talk about it. Um, it's never, you know, I have line management with my boss every single week. At no point ever has he tried to simulate a deep dive. At no point ever has he said anything Ofsted. But that's a very, it's a very gutsy leader that decides to do something like that. Um, and it's, it's I, 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 I totally empathize with people who are worried and who are concerned and look at the EIF and say, yes, but they'll really want X, Y, or Z or blah, blah, blah. And I, you know, I get where these myths come from. Um, and to an extent, I, I don't know, then maybe they'll always be there, you know, the, may, and uh, you know, what's, what's Ofsted's thoughts, like not what's Ofsted's thoughts, but what, what are your thoughts on kind of Ofsted's role in tackling the myths? I know where, you know, when Sean Harford was still, yeah. um, piloting the ship, he used to, he was, he went to war on Twitter constantly, yeah. uh, and he produced the myth busting documents, which I remember well, because I printed off the one about marking and stapled it to my head teacher's face. Um, I didn't really well, do that. But it was, not really. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, metaphorically, um, you know stuff like that you know there there, there is yeah. a role to be played there it's, uh, it's frustrating I, I guess there's sort of a lot of the time like you you talked about sort of um attach writing a scheme of work on which you sort of uh, you know re attach that to sort of soft skills and of course that that, that that's something that uh w was going on a long time before and perhaps continues to go on i i, I you know i don't want to overplay this but but one thing i i would say from my personal experiencing inspection is that 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 on many many occasions i have this moment of of a rather surreal moment in in a conversation um uh where, where i'm perhaps with a school leader where they're, they're saying oh but ofsted will want this and and i'll say well no no um no ofsted ofsted don't don't want that and 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 the response that i'll get is but no yes they do a consultant has told me so ah. and 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 so obviously that's frustrating because 
you know, people will reach for solutions for the accountability mechanisms that they face to be seen yeah. to demonstrate against those accountability mechanisms, whatever they are. But it's a little bit more surreal than that because the response is almost like, no, you're incorrect. And I think a lot of the time, I'm not actually, you know, in, in those sorts of situations, I'm not sure it is what sort of the desperate desire to find out what Ofsted wants that is driving necessarily those behaviours. I think there's all sorts of other drivers within the school system. Now, I don't want, I'm not trying to downplay that, I'm just, I'm trying to, I perhaps share an insight that, that something that surprised me actually in, in my time in Ofsted. And that thing that surprised me is how far there's there, there are other levers which are driving behaviours which perhaps aren't necessarily constructive. Now, in terms of what we as Ofsted do within uh, an, a, 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 an accountability system, yeah, one thing we work very hard to do is, for me, is to accept, for example, events such as this, me talking to you today, so that we can mm. um, clarify, you know, it's, there's uh, what, what, what might be called myths. And so, you know, compared with perhaps, you know, what, what, a, what a, a government body would have been doing um, in a few decades ago, there's, there's an enormous amount of communication uh, between Ofsted and the sector, um, and we we are you know very very active in in the number of uh, sort of talks we give, the materials we provide, and all I can say and, and all I can encourage is that actually engaging with what Ofsted have produced ourselves is is by and large a very reassuring pro you know um, experience. If if you're, you're simply seeking to sort of um, you know, have some reinsurance about um, how well Ofsted will be, will be uh, what they'll be thinking about on inspection. So there's a lot out there. There's a lot of engagement that we do, and for cool. the very reason that uh, we 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 don't want myths to develop, um, and they often can. Yeah, and and I for one am grateful because it means I get to have you on my show, which is cool. Cool. All right, I've got one. We've got 14 minutes. I'm going to go for one nice big question. Uh, and then we'll see if we have time for some more meaty ones. Mm. Otherwise, we'll wrap up. All right. Um, so I, I guess the put, put, I'd written this out in a complicated and technical way, but but let, let's just make it very simple. What is the evidence that the current education inspection framework is going to lead to mm. just generalised better education outcomes? And I don't want to be I don't want to get too specific. I don't want to say like, yeah. oh, what's mm. the evidence that the current EIF is going to let white working boys from Kent be able to access university or whatever? Mm -hmm. I just just what's the evidence that what we're doing is going to make stuff better? Mm. Yeah. So I guess this takes us back to um, uh, making sure that. Uh, our thinking about quality of education is as well founded as possible. So, you know, Ofsted is a, is a, is a national inspectorate and we, um, and, and that means that we, we have both the resource and, and obviously the imperative that we, that when we inspect and are required to make judgments, that the judgments we make are based upon the best possible conception of what is a high quality education. And if they are, then obviously it is more likely that the framework will be successful, that that way of thinking about quality of education will indeed lead to pupils having a better education, if it, you know, the way we're thinking about quality. I talked actually about the kind of inception of EIF, and I talked about the, the, the way in which it is based upon the best research we have. You know, we looked at what what is the best we can know um, about uh, what is a quality education, thinking about what we know about human cognition, our own phases of um, 
of uh, of of curriculum research as well. I think also it's, I might as well sort of squeeze in a sort of a bit about the the research review work that that my team have been doing of, of subject leads, and and that really is 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 to think about. We know we've got some general principles in our framework around quality of education, and and we've published what those are founded upon and why we've reached the conclusion that that that's the best possible way we have of thinking about quality of education. Um, so, so those exist, um, but um, what, what do, that application, what do those mean at the level of each subject? So we could say, for, let's think about phonics, for example, if we we're to say that you, you know, a high quality curriculum has carefully selected content. Uh, and, um, and so well, what is the carefully selected content? for phonics you haven't even got to the reading wars yet with that principle mm. so the clearly there are contextual implications and there's more we can learn about the nature of quality of education through exploring it's it, it what 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 it what that looks like at the subject level and that's really the work that we've been doing in our curriculum unit our research reviews have been exploring the research base that exists um, that that on, on the nature of a quality subject education so we can see what that looks like in a context and that again adds to the you know the validity of our inspection because it that if we in term, validity means that um in this case that in this way that the, the the judgments that we make are based upon the best possible way of thinking about what is a quality of education um, and that emphasis both in general but also now in the subject level through our research review process helps us to um, ensure that the way we're thinking about quality of education is the best way possible that we that, that we can come up with so to speak and therefore more likely to lead to improved education for children more likely well i mean this is it we we i think i think this is you know we can when we I, you're you're a scientist adam and, and so you know why i'm saying that i'm a science teacher yeah okay yeah, you're a science teacher, but even so you're a science teacher that understands scientific methods so, so you know that you know we we, we we this is the best evidence we have that we are drawing our our view of equality of education upon we're looking at what is the best evidence that we right. have available Cool. Okay. Right. One more meaty question. Okay. I tell you what. I, what I'm going to do. I'm going to pick up on. I. I. Sorry. I deliberately haven't asked for questions from uh, the listeners throughout this because I think feelings on Ofsted run really high. So I've not taken any callers, which is what I'd normally do. Um, because like, mm. I just. It's just it's just a bit it's just it's just a bit of a risk. You never know what you're going to get. Um, but but there is one question that's come up in the chat here that I think is really good, uh, which is from Tom, where he said, "How do HMI support schools post grading?" And I think um, mm. I think my, one of my earliest experiences of Ofsted was a school that I know very well. They got moved from outstanding; they'd been at outstanding for a decade or whatever, and then moved down to RI. Um, and it was it was super clear that the leadership had no idea how to improve they had access to the same report that everybody else had they had had more feedback from the inspectors than anybody else had heard um but it was really clear that they just had no idea what to do next um and i suppose what a lot of people would would be asking is how do, how does that in a case like that offset it's not making things better it's just causing things to sort of limp on and stagger on in the same way um, and and what what Sofsted's role you know role here as opposed to just coming in giving a judgment buggering off that 
ensuring that actually because ultimately no, nobody ad, nobody would say right well offset should come in and if the school isn't good enough then the entire leadership need to be fired and start again i don't think anybody would be suggesting that so so but fundamentally nothing else has changed right so how is it that yeah i think the question is yeah. buried in there somewhere yeah no i no i think so i i understand um so so obviously um there, there are there, there are uh the you know, we, we can only operate within the, the kind of funding and mechanisms available to us. And, and we do do monitoring visits, but um, generally speaking... Yeah, the monitoring they, visit is a day. It's, you know, it's a sheet yeah, of A4. And, it's not and like... So, a... so obviously, as I say, that, 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 there, there are many limits placed upon Ofsted and a lot of people wouldn't necessarily want Ofsted to expand massively, which is what would be necessary to provide that, that, um, that, that kind of Ofsted further support so I, I guess what I what I can talk about though is that I can talk about this from a few angles I think you know Ofsted are appointed to ensure that children get the education they need we're, we're you know we're, we're appointed to be advocates for, for for children and the education that they receive and to so, and to identify when when children aren't getting the education they receive and for that and therefore you know not to be sort of um you know hidden it, it needs it needs you know children it needs to be the case that that children do get um do get the chances that that they that they need in life and that if there are things that are really going wrong in those schools that that it is known but I, absolutely it's important that those that, that that there could be constructive support in place so so from Ofsted perspective I've, I've said that you know there there are limits on on what we uh, are are you know allowed what we have the capacity what we have the funding to do uh, but but what we do do where is uh, we we try very hard through everything that we publish and all the work that we do to uh, to uh, provide uh, CPD training through that if you go on our uh, GovUK website and have a look at lots of the documents that we publish you have a go on our YouTube channel and look at a whole range of different training which we share we do everything we can to share the insights we have with the sector and to be as open about those insights as we can so as I say the question is one that I can't really you know it the, the, the limits to Ofsted's powers and where we can go are, are you know, are sort of defined by legislation. So mm. there, there's the, 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 those are the limits that we have. But within those limits, we want to share in as far as we can insights that will be helpful to schools and, and help them on their journeys. And we do so. Got it. I understand. Okay. Yeah. I mean, just mm. <laughs> just like everybody else, you guys are underfunded. <laughs> not Not that you would ever be able to comment on whether or not Ofsted as a department is underfunded. I'm just going to leave that one yet. <laughs> right, two last questions. Last question number one. This one's important. Okay, so I heard on a podcast on a different site, Sorry Teachers Talk Radio, um, that in prehistoric eras, right, so millions of years ago, yeah, um, dragonflies were the size of pigeons. Right. Right. So my question is, would you rather that all dragonflies nowadays were as big as pigeons? <laughs> And all pigeons were as small as dragonflies, or do you want to keep things the way they are? Uh, but, uh, I'm not quite sure how I meant to respond to that. It's probably safer to keep things the way they are because there's so many unintended oh, consequences. Such a conservative. <laughs> oh, social conservative. So, oh, come on, Heather. Take a risk. Take a punt on the massive dragonflies. What have they ever done to you? Okay, fine. So now that we know your answer and presumably what um, 
Ofsted's official position. Uh, well, no, I really couldn't comment on the Ofsted <laughs> official view on pigeons and dragonflies, I think. Oh, I think that's disappointing. Look, next time you're in the office, please just ask Amanda. Just tell her that Adam said, um, you know, he wants to know about the dragonflies. Anyway, um, and then my second question, this is a bit more serious. If you had a magic wand, okay, and you could change one thing about education in this country, Goodness. what would just one thing, what would it be? Just one thing. Obviously, uh, being being someone that's so involved in education, that 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 um, that is quite difficult. Got to pick one. I, yeah. Well, I, I think the the, the, obvious, the obvious. Is it about is, pigeons? It's about is, pigeons, isn't it's it? It's about reading. Oh, not um, pigeons. Reading. I I, I think you know, uh, it, ensuring that uh, you know that, that um that all children had uh had the best possible start in reading because it's so foundational to so much else. I'm sorry to sound like I'm copying out, but it is rather important. And, and, um, and here do you mean like decoding or broad vocabulary? Well, I mean, obviously, you know, one, one is a precursor. You've got to choose a, one. A necessity. No, I, I don't think you can choose one in that oh, situation. You need to be able to de uh, decode. It's a precondition. But, um, but yeah, that, 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 um, that reading is so foundational. Look, I think that's a that's a decent answer. I was hoping for something to do with dragonflies, if I'm honest. Yeah, I'm but sorry about that. We'll, yeah, we'll, we'll yeah. take reading. And this is a question I think I'm going to try and ask every guest I have in. So, look, I mean, I tell you what, given that you don't have a magic wand, right, mm -hmm. what do you think is the one thing that that teachers could easily do differently to, to help get us a bit closer towards that goal of everyone being able to read? Oh, everyone able to read. Oh, I see. Yeah. Um, so, so in well, in terms of uh, decoding, it's around having uh, a, a, a well-founded and a phonics course, and teaching it well and with fidelity, and then giving children that broad range of knowledge that will give them the capacity to comprehend. There we have it, Heather Fern. I'm not going to keep you much longer. You said at the outset that nine, that eight, did you say nine o'clock was your bedtime? So well, it's certainly an ideal bedtime. An, an, so an, an aspiration. An aspiration. Yes, that's right. Yeah, it's, it is right, my aspiration. In, in our next podcast, Heather and I will be discussing original sin, Adam and Eve, <laughs> pigeons, dragonflies, the route to heaven and the Holy Grail. Heather, thank you so much. I really appreciate you, it. And Thanks also for just, everyone for joining us. Yeah, just generally, like I, I do, I, you know, I hope that, um, that that the people feel that I've given you uh, a decent time of it, um, but also like I, I am genuinely grateful that that people from Ofsted feel comfortable doing stuff like that, doing stuff like this because it can't be easy. Um, so thank you very much, uh, and I look forward to speaking to you soon. Yeah, pleasure. Cheers, Heather. All right, bye well, bye. guys. Thank you. Thank you. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you. Okay. Thank you all for listening. Um, I hope you've enjoyed yourself. Uh, I will be doing one of these on the first Sunday of every month. Um, I'm basically the entire premise is that no one person can be expert in everything. So I would like to try and get experts in so we can talk to them. Um, and I am up for suggestions of people, of topics, so please do let me know over on Twitter if you're interested, and I hope you enjoyed yourself. Tomorrow is Monday. Have a fantastic week. Adam out.